0: How do you personally guard against complacency
1: i don't like losing i think you know that more important than that i hate to see people not do things to their capacity or capability
0: hello welcome to episode three of always college football today's monday july 11th and i'm greg mcelroy along with me as always is mark kubiak please like rate and subscribe. And if you're enjoying the show, please let us know in some feedback where we can improve. Always college football at gmail.com. We appreciate you're coming to us from wherever it is you're coming to us from, whether it be Spotify, Apple podcast, or if you're enjoying the show on ESPN, YouTube, hit us up in the comments. We read them all. We're actively trying to get better. We've got a great game plan for you today. Nick Saban joins the show for the very first time. He's the winner of seven national championships and the architect to arguably the greatest run we've ever seen in the history of college football. So I won't waste any more of your time. Let's get to the GOAT, Nick Saban.
2: Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play.
0: He's the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, and in my opinion, and albeit it might be a biased one, I'm not sure it's close. I think he's the greatest head football coach in the history of college football. He's Nick Saban. Coach, I really appreciate the fact that you go on vacation at the end of June, and you came back from vacation just to be a part of the podcast. Well, that really means a lot. Thank you so much for doing that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, you know, I'd do anything for you, Greg, and I appreciate you so much, and I do appreciate you saying what you say uh, about... Um, me, um, but um, you know, I really came back because we have seven on seven, you know, a couple days a week. So I kind of try to come back and make sure I'm staying on top of things and I'm making sure the players are doing things the way we want them to do it. And that's you only got a couple hours a week in the summertime that you can spend with the players as coaches. Yeah. All right. So we got to try to make the most of it. And The way things are now, the only time we can go on vacation is in July, so we got to kind of rotate our way in here so we got enough people to you know, mind the store.
0: I'm amazed by that because it feels like, Coach, the process is so ingrained, the culture is so ingrained, it's player-led in so many ways, and yet here you guys come back to make sure that there's always somebody watching, always somebody that you could maybe approach as a player, if I had a question I could go to a coach now and that was illegal back in the day, but now it's very legal. So how do you balance that between the time that you spend with the players and the time they spent in the strength and conditioning program, which is what we exclusively were able to do back in the day?
1: Right. Well, basically we still have, you know, leader team led seven on seven, few plays of team where the coaches aren't there. All right, but what we are allowed to do now is individual technique teaching for two hours a week. So um, we have a couple seven minute individual periods where we go out and teach the technique of whatever the install is for that day. Um, so that players have a, a, a better chance that when we do do it in a, you know, team situation or a seven on seven, seven situation, especially the young players, uh, they've had an opportunity to do it. But, you know, I think this whole concept is more challenging to get players to take the responsibility of leadership. I think yeah. a lot of guys are willing to, you know, go out there and work hard and set a good example and actually be somebody that somebody wants to emulate. But when you take that next step of trying to help somebody for their benefit by making them be accountable, teammate to teammate, then you know, that, that, that's a big step for a lot of guys to take because I think, you know, guys get so much positive self-gratification from, you know, social media, um, and all these external that, that they grow up sort of concerned about what everybody thinks of them. So they don't want to think that they don't want their teammate to think poorly of them because they said something to them that maybe the guy didn't like, even though it was in his best interest to do. Um, I I think getting guys to get to that point, uh, where you're holding people accountable on and off the field, which is really in their best interest, which as coaches, we do that all the time. I, but player to player, I think it's getting a little bit more challenging, um, than it used to be.
0: Yeah, I understand that. And, and I, I know we've talked about it, getting guys to change their behavior with the risk of freedom of transfer, things that, it's just harder to coach guys now. It's understandable completely. I remember Coach Vividly leading up to the 2009 season, I started the Twitter. And uh, at that point, Twitter was relatively new. Um, and now it's obviously a big part of what these kids have growing up and have grown up with. So uh, is it different coaching in the social media age as compared to the age back when I was playing before social media really existed?
1: Um. I don't, it may be different for some people. Um, I think it's how it affects you. How does social media affect you? I mean, do you really get your self-gratification? Like I always thought, for example, you as a player, you know, you were a perfectionist. You wanted to get it right. You were always well-prepared. You you, you weren't necessarily doing it because of the self-gratification you got from some internet source you were doing it because you wanted to do it well and you got a lot of positive self-gratification knowing that you did it well, did, did your best, you know, to, to try to be the best you could be, not only for yourself, but for your teammates. You know, football is a, a great team game because not only do you have to be responsible and accountable to do your job, you got to be responsible and accountable to the other 10 guys, you know, you're playing with because everybody's got to do it right for it to work the way you want it to work. So, um, you know, I think it's how it affects you, but I do think that some people get, you know, sort of totally immersed uh, in what the external factors are saying about them or whatever. And, uh, I think then all of a sudden you start to do things to please those factors rather than to please yourself. And, um, and then I don't think you can get the same kind of self-gratification for that. Um, that's just my opinion. but and, and, you know, some guys handle social media great, doesn't affect them at all. Um, but there are some guys that I, I don't know if they're a little bit addicted to what other people, the feedback that they get, and that becomes their motivation. Uh, and I think that's that's a little bit of a slippery slope.
0: No, without question, coach. And obviously you've recruited exceptionally well uh, high school guys for, for as long as, as you've been in this game, whether it be at Michigan state or I don't know about Toledo recruiting rankings as before my time, uh, but, but at LSU and of course at Alabama, um, you've obviously done great in appealing to high school prospects, but now with the freedom of transfer, how things have changed now that you can make a pitch to a guy that has recently entered the transfer portal to solidify your depth that may be a position of need. So how is the pitch different to a, maybe a one year player as compared to a guy that would be on campus for three and four years?
1: Well, I, I think, um, you know, we've always had opportunities to recruit transfers. Mostly junior college transfers, and most of the time they need to play wherever they go. So you shouldn't be recruiting them unless you need them to play. Is the way I look at it because you know we've always been you know recruit young players and develop them, and and I still think that concept of having uh, a a great program that develops people that develops good students and careers. Uh, that develops football players who have a chance to play at the next level. I still think those things create the most value for players so that's what we try to stay focused on and Hopefully because players recognize that they, they see that they have a better chance to be successful if they stay with that um, in terms of creating value for their future so um, I don't think we've changed the way we recruit freshmen or incoming players from high school. But I do think that opportunity to play and to have a role on a team for an older player who is going to transfer in your program and only be there for a year or two is much more important. You want them to continue to develop so that they create value and they have to buy into the principles and values of the organization that are going to help them do that personally, academically, and athletically. But at the same time, the reason they're leaving wherever they're leaving is because they're looking for a better opportunity. So therefore, you have to have an opportunity. There has to be a fit, or um, you know, you're know, you going to get guys that are not going to be happy when they get here because they're not going to have a role, uh, the very role that they were looking for, uh, so you got to make sure they're a good fit, and um, and I, I but I think that's important when you hire somebody to be on your coaching staff. It's the same kind of deal, you know. Um, so I do think it's a little bit different from that regard in that regard.
0: Coach, about your roster this year, it's amazing. If you look at and and we've talked about this in the past for years, uh, you suffered the pain of discipline or the pain of disappointment. Well, when you have suffered the pain of disappointment in your career most recently in the national championship game, coming just ever so close to winning yet another one. The team seems to come back the following year with an increased level of urgency. Why do you think that is?
1: Uh, I just think that um, it's, and you've heard me talk about this before, it's much more difficult for people to deal with success um, and understand that success is not a continuum. um, That... You know, you got to continue to do the things that you've done to be successful and even do them at a higher level because you're going to be the target of everyone else when you are successful, so you're going to get their best game. So you got to be at your best game, but that's harder because human nature says, I did well, we won a championship, I'm supposed to be rewarded. Uh, Why am I having to do all this work again when I'm thinking, you know, If I sell my quota of cars this month, I'm supposed to get a free trip to Bermuda. Uh, I mean, (laughs) that's human nature. All right. So and then you create this complacency, which creates a blatant disregard for doing what's right. And then you start creating bad habits. And then those bad habits start affecting your performance. And then you get frustrated. And uh, so a lot of bad things can happen if you're not mature enough to handle success and understand that it's not a continuum and that you've got to continue to do things at a high level and you're only going to be as good as your last play, right? So you have to keep preparing, you know, with the same sense of urgency um, that you always have. And that's, that's hard to get people to do. When you lose or you have a negative experience, people are much more motivated to sort of, prove that we can get back there and we can win the next time. You know, I mean, we didn't accomplish everything we wanted to accomplish. So now I'm willing to work and do extra. And what do I have to do to get better coach? Because they were, whether you want to use the word humiliated, uh, maybe that's, that that's a, it's not the best word to describe how you feel when you lose. I right? But I think there is some of that in there when you don't have success. Uh, you're disappointed, um, and you know guys are much more motivated to. Uh, they they have a tough time shaking that feeling, uh, so they're much more motivated to to do it. But every team is different. Um, you know, like we should have had nine starters back on offense and nine on defense. We got six guys that go out for the draft, so now we got five back on offense and seven back on defense. So it seems like you're always your roster changes a little bit more in this uh, day and age. Um, so you always have a few more challenges, um, and that's okay. I mean, we, we love the challenges, but it also creates opportunity for other players.
0: How do you personally, Coach, given all that you've accomplished? People ask me all the time, how, how long is Coach going to go? I said, well, forever. I feel like given all that you've accomplished, I know you get great personal satisfaction by teaching kids and teaching and, and bringing a team together and chasing a championship. So how do you personally guard against complacency, knowing everything that you have to to celebrate uh, you've accomplished in all of your career?
1: Well, you know, I just can't stand to see people not do things the right way. It drives me absolutely crazy uh, because my whole goal as a coach is to get everybody to reach their full potential, to be the best version of themselves that they can be personally, academically, and athletically. And it's almost like um, you're sabotaging yourself if you're not trying to be that. And, it, it you, you know, somebody has to create sort of a, a path, you know, for you to be able to uh, call it the process, call it whatever, for you to be able to accomplish the goals that you have and to show you how you have to, Edit your behavior to do it, and how sometimes these behaviors are not helping you do that, and it just drives me crazy, all right? To maybe I'm maybe I'm a perfectionist. I don't know. I, don't know <laughs> if I'm a I really don't know, um, but it, it just drives me up a tree, all right? To see guys not do things from an effort standpoint, from a toughness standpoint, from a Responsibility to know what to do, how to do it, why it's important to do it that way. Um, I mean, it just so it, it creates a standard, all right? When you sort of have that disposition, and um, you, you know, and then it becomes a part of the culture. You know, you you've you said it before to me. Um, that's not the Alabama way. because we've all established that you established it when you were here Julio established when he was here Hightower did all the players that played here Derrick Henry all, all of them sort of established that and now they have an expectation of what that's supposed to be well I have an expectation of what it's supposed to be too and when I see players that aren't like doing that it drives me up a tree so um is that what motivates me? I, I I guess. I I can't exactly but I also know that you know if you don't continue to do the things at a high level, that you're not going to have success. And when you allow people to do things that are done incorrectly and create bad habits, those habits are going to show up and fundamentally affect their ability to create value as well as create value as a team. So um, I, I just, I don't like losing. I think you know that. Um, <laughs> but I, I, more important than that, I hate to see people not do things to their capacity or capability.
0: Coach, I don't think anyone does a better job of properly summing up the world of college football with a thoughtful perspective from a 30,000-foot perspective of where we're at, where we're going, how we got there, and what might happen as a result of some of the things that have happened. So just open-ended, what do you make of the sweeping changes that we're currently going through in regards to another round of realignment?
1: Uh, Well, you know, the pre-alignment, uh, I, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of tradition, you know, in conferences um, that will no longer exist. Uh, and I think we've g- gone through that to some degree in the past. Uh, you know, the Oklahoma-Nebraska game used to be a big game and they've not been in the same conference for quite some time now and quit playing each other. So. Um, That that that's something, but I think we're going to deal with it in you know a greater capacity than ever before, Um, because I think mega conferences are probably here to stay, Um, and you know market share, market you know there's there's a lot of that involved in why are we doing what we're doing. Um, My biggest concern is competitive balance. You know, the NFL, which I was involved in for eight years, every rule that they have is to create competitive balance. And if they could have every team go 8-8, and so at the end of the season, every team was playing their last game to get in the playoffs, they would be ecstatic. All right, because how much fan interest does that create you know how, how much TV ratings and all the things that go into all these things um, does that create we don't have any guardrails on what we're doing right now all right so um, we have no restrictions on who can do what some people are going to be capable of doing certain things other people are not going to be capable but the the, the bottom line is is we'll lose competitive balance which everything we've always done in college football is to maintain competitive balance same scholarship everybody had to play by the same rules and whether it was recruiting or whatever all right so um right now that that's not that that's not how it is all right so if that's the case you're going to create more haves and more have nots therefore there'll be less good games. One of my biggest concerns about college football is attendance has, has like gradually fallen off. And I think one of the reasons for that is the quality of games. I mean, we probably play three or four games every year. Our fans don't really care about coming to see, well, I don't want to really want to play any games that our fans don't want to come and see. Uh, And, but based on how the culture of college football is set up, Largely because of bowl games and eligibility for bowl games is the result of this. Nobody wants to play more games. They want to play games and make sure they can win six so they can go to a bowl game. Now, that's not necessarily the standard that we live by here. But still, it's hard to get people to play these games. And, and even in the SEC, you know, with the new alignment coming up in 24 or whenever, um, you know, are we going to play nine games or eight games? You know, I'm I'm for playing nine. I was for playing nine five years ago, and there was no support for it. I even brought up, should we play 10? <laughs> you know, now. I um, Because we played 10 one year all right, because of COVID, and we, we, we didn't play any games that people weren't interested in coming to see. Every game was an SEC game. Every game in the NFL is an NFL game. And they have competitive balance. Like 70% of the, the games in the NFL, I don't know if this is a current stat, but in the old days when I was in the league, were decided by a touchdown or less. Yeah. That creates a lot of fan interest. It creates you – know, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm crazy, I know. But <laughs> and anyway, I, 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 I but that's my biggest concern about where we're heading in college football is – Will we affect the competitive balance, right, of the haves and the have-nots? And we're one of the haves. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm still—that's not good for college football. Right
0: finally coach i'll I'll wrap it up with this because i I can't ask you that question you referenced competitive balance as many times as you did without asking you how do we create that how how would you recommend that we we try to create that to put guardrails on it whatsoever so that we can have that competitive advantage that you competitive balance excuse me that you referenced throughout the course of your last answer
1: well I don't know that I totally have you know all the answers but I, I think there has to be some kind of cohesive rules across the board, all right, which we've always had that the NCAA has been able to provide. And a lot of people, you know, criticize the NCAA for the situation that we're in. But if they don't have protection from litigation, they can't even enforce their own rules. All right? And, you know, we have laws now that are, you know, making it relatively impossible to have this competitive balance. So, um, If that's the case, then there's got to be some kind of, I don't know what you want to call it, laws, uh, antitrust, I don't know what the legal term uh, would be, that sort of creates guardrails where you will create competitive balance because things are going to be the same. I'm all for players making money. I'm all for players making money. Um, I like the fact that players all have the opportunity to make money. You know, we our players made a lot of money last year, but only 25 of the players made part of that money. Uh, and it was a significant amount of money. And I'm happy for them, and I want them to be able to do that. Um, and we didn't create that for them. Right? We didn't create a collective where they could, you know, have a resource that was basically – Um, given them opportunities. They created that value. Uh, You know, Bryce Young has created a tremendous amount of value for him himself. I, by the way he's played, the way he handles himself, the leadership that he has. And, and, and it's all performance based. I, it wasn't given to him by somebody else. Does that make sense? So, uh, and, and I think that's great, but, when, when we create other avenues for people to – and use it to get them to come to their school, then now you don't have competitive balance. All right, So some kind of way we got to reel all that in and make it the same for everybody.
0: Completely understand that, Coach. Uh, so appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Like I said, thanks for coming back from vacation to just talk with us. And you know, if you had to sprinkle in a little seven-on-seven seven as well, we're, we're glad that you can
1: pull that off. Yeah, well, I'd like for you to come, you know, quarterback for us in seven on seven. So if we you're,
0: can, well, so you always told you always told me, Coach. You said, Greg, I don't need you to teach me how to throw interceptions. I'm a defensive back coach. I throw the best, most interceptible pass that you can make. That's what. That's basically what. That's what you do in position drills is just throw picks over and over again. So you never need my help doing that. So why would you need it now?
1: Well but did you ever think that it might be harder to throw a pick than it is to throw a completion?
0: <laughs> Depending on what defense I faced coach. Um, no, sometimes it was a lot easier to throw an interception without question, so <laughs> We appreciate it, man. Thank you so much.
1: You, you, you did a good job, a great decision maker, but I appreciate the opportunity. So uh, thanks and good luck. Thanks coach.
3: Don't know much about marketing? No sweat. Constant Contacts writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence knowing your emails are actually reaching your customers thanks to Constant Contacts' best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Tackle any challenge with Constant Contacts' expert live customer support.
0: With my head coach, Nick Saban, as you can see, the quarterback, head coach, the defensive minded head coach, especially we, we occasionally took a couple jabs at each other, uh, but always well intentioned, always fun. Uh, and it was just great to visit with him for, for probably about as long of an interview as he's ever done. So that was, that was a great visit. Very grateful to coach for for him being so generous with his time. Look, they have a great team this year. There's no denying that this is probably the most consistent run that we've ever seen in college football. History to have won at least ten games every single year since 2008 is a feat that's absolutely remarkable. And of course, we all know about the unranked defeat that they experienced last year for the very first time since 2007. They lost Texas A&M, who of course was unranked, but that was the first time they'd lost to an unranked team since Louisiana Monroe at the end of the 2007 season. So the steady hand that is Alabama. Is remarkable. It's all because of Nick Saban. I mean, he is as consistent and as regimented as anybody that there is in the entire game. So should come as no surprise that they'll likely start either atop the polls or maybe at the very worst, they'll end up maybe number two in the preseason AP top 25. They bring back the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback. We know Bryce Young with the supporting cast that's both been developed within the program and those pieces that have been added via the transfer portal. You got to think that this offense is going to be as good as they were last year, at the very least, if not significantly better. And then you go to the defense side of the football. Like This was a group, really the first five, six, seven weeks of the season last year, they just weren't very consistent. They worked great against the run, didn't do a great job tackling. Then you fast forward to the end of the year. Statistically speaking, they really improved and started to get to the point where they were playing really solid at all three levels. It helps when you have a superstar And Will Anderson, who is a completely unstoppable force. They're coming off the edge of the defense. You could make a strong case, if not for his teammate, Bryce Young. uh, I think you can make a very strong case for Will Anderson being the best player, regardless of position, in all of college football. And he's a great leader as well. So they have everything that you could possibly want to make another championship run. And I think we'd all be a little surprised if Alabama isn't in the mix at the end of the 2022 season. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. And please give us feedback too. Like, We're trying to get better. So email us at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. If you're watching us on the ESPN YouTube channel, hit us up in the comments. We read those. We try to get better off those comments. And we really appreciate the constant feedback that you guys have been able to provide. You can also hit us up on Twitter at alwayscfb. For Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you guys have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football.